Welcome to Radically Transparent, the number one podcast for the modern day marketer, presented by Octopost, the only social media and employee advocacy solution architected for B2B. Each episode shines a light on the inner workings of B2B leadership, including what keeps successful CEOs, CMOs, and VPs up at night professionally. The conversations are real, raw, and authentic, all while revealing the unfiltered, not-so-known truths of today's most interesting marketers. Introducing your host, Jennifer Gutman. Hello, world. My next guest is a film school refugee who has spent the last 12 years living and breathing B2B marketing. As a senior marketing leader, she has gained a bird's eye view of what helps to drive performance and user engagement. Her work has even been featured in trades like Marketing Land and Adweek, and she's a regular contributor to the Content Marketing Institute and a featured speaker at Content Marketing World. Please welcome Inbar Yagor, VP of Marketing at Growth Space to the show. Inbar, are you ready to get radically transparent with me? Heck yes. Totally. <laughs> Fantastic. I mean, why else would we have you here, right? If you're not, if you're not ready to get radically transparent. So, so listen, I'm going to start off with what I like to say is an easy one. Um, but, you know, I was looking through your LinkedIn and it's pretty interesting. <laughs> Could you give us a brief look? Because I know you've been in the marketing world for quite some time at your professional journey and how you found yourself in the B2B marketing space to begin with. Okay, so I'm, first of all, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Um, and you do uh, what I preach, which is, which is let's put cards on the table. So here we go. I actually stumbled into marketing. That was never something that I saw as a path, at least in most of my life. Like when I was 12 years old, I got it in my head that I wanted to be a film director. And I'm generally a stubborn person. And so I just kind of took that thread and, and, and brought it all the way to grad school. Like I... So um, I basically, I have a master's degree from the American Film Institute Conservatory in film directing. Um, at the time, uh, I was one of four women in a class of 28 directors. Um, and it was, you know, it was a wild journey, um, which basically made me not want to be in filmmaking anymore. So I realized, here's what I realized. I realized that if I wanted to be a director, I needed to be a megalomaniac and I needed to have really thick skin and I'm neither of those things. And so <laughs> I was, you know, it took me a while to get there. Like I made, I made some shorts. I like, I did the whole Hollywood thing for a little while. I've got some wild celebrity stories, but maybe that's for a different podcast. But it was really, it was like, okay, I'm kind of done. And I, and I decided to move back to Israel because I knew there were more funds there and there was more support. Plus I felt a little like, an, like too much like of an outsider in the States. Um, and, and, you know, within two years, I found myself doing content marketing. Like I was a rarity, you know, native English speaker in Israel is not something that happens often. And um, so, so I ended up kind of doing content marketing for early stage startups. And this was right when like Startup Nation was, was, was happening in Israel. So this was uh, 2010, 2011, like a lot of up and coming startups. And my, my expertise became like Americanizing startup sites. And it was, it was really interesting because I didn't have a website of my own. It was all word of mouth. And I made a living like that for three years and it was kind of awesome. But then um, Taboola comes around. I was looking for a place um, to kind of rest as I was on that. I had a high risk pregnancy. I had to stay at home and I was like, okay, I need a company 
um, where I can do like a long-term freelance contract and not have to hustle and like drive around and get new customers. So, um, so I found Tabula, Tabula found me. Um, anybody who doesn't know uh, the, the like widgets that you see at the bottom of articles, you may like more from the web. So, so that's Tabula, uh, but the good ones are Tabula. <laughs> I know this thing have, have like kind of, you know, not all of them are as kosher as others. Tabula is the uh, number one choice for brands. And I'm proud to say that I uh, helped bring it there. Um, so they initially brought me in in 2013 to just kind of figure out what needs to go in those boxes. Like, cause I was a creative and I was doing, you know, basically content marketing and, and I was a writer um, and, and I stayed. So I came on as a freelancer and I spent four and a half years there. Um, basically my job was at that, the time, I didn't realize this was product marketing, but, but it was product marketing. Um, so, so it was kind of like any, anytime like a new solution came in, uh, for advertisers, I would come in, work with strategic accounts, do like a soft launch, and then help the actual launch and do thought leadership. Um, and that's kind of where I think I started establishing it, um, like really establishing myself as as like a, an expert there. And the reason is, it's hard for me to say this about myself, but it's true. I, I, but the reason is, is because for four and a half years, I was talking to like some of the biggest brands in the world, right? I got to sit in the room with with fortune 500 companies and talk to them about their content and how they could you know make their content work on tabula and it was it was this amazing kind of magnifying glass into what everything is doing so i'm like the rare b2b marketer that has seen a lot of b2c like a lot of b2c and so um and that, that kind of rolled over for most of my career like i moved into content marketing um technology and um i did that for for a few years and basically once i left tabula i became a vp so I've, I've been kind of a vp at early stage startup for the last five years or so um and, and i really feel like the, the the thing that i'm i've most kind of passionate about best at is content which kind of makes sense considering that i have eight years of training in the field <laughs> like I, I used to joke that my master's degree was the lowest ROI degree in the history of the world, but it's actually, maybe when you think about it, maybe not so much because it kind of informs what I'm doing now. Um, I do obviously more than that these days, right? As a VP, I'm like, I deal with like paid acquisition and, and, you know, conversion rate optimization and SDRs and all that other stuff. Um, but my passion and, and, you know, my, my soul still lies in, in just creating really, really kick-ass content. Can I say that? You really say great that. content. Listen, you can say that. And I think we all know <laughs> any, you know, as B2B marketers, it's about the quality of the content and especially today when there's just so much. And, and we're going to, I know we're going to get into this, but I love that you've come from a creative background because I know there's always the great debate, right? Is marketing an art or a science? So I love when we have mm -hmm. creatives on the show. So based off of what you shared of your, your history and kind of knowing where you are now as VP marketing, what is keeping you up at night professionally these days? Okay. So here's the thing. And I think I'm not the first to say this, right? Well, let, let, I going to talk about COVID, like everybody's sick of COVID, but there's a reason I'm going to talk about COVID, right? So first six months or so of COVID, people were like super like tapped into things. Like I would have webinars with like completely like super high engagement rates and a, and, and a lot more people show up than usual. I would get like, I, I did a whole thing with email marketing early in COVID that literally like helped resurrect the business. Uh, like I was in marketing um, that with a business that was hit fairly badly with like the, the COVID 
you know, crash and, and literally email marketing resurrected because people were super connected because everybody was like, what's going on? What's going on? And then like in 2021, there was like this shift and everybody was just kind of over it, you know? And, and, and the result is that engagement rates just kind of plummeted. There is like this, this, and I mean, we're, we're talking about fragmentation of attention everywhere, but it's gotten so bad. Yeah. Um, and there's so much noise out there. I, you know, at the end of the day, it's like, what can I do to get people's attention? Um, and that is becoming increasingly more difficult um, as we go through this this crazy time. I feel like people kind of, you know, got into their own little camps, and it's and there's there's not necessarily any more collective digital experiences. You know, because we're very, very fragmented. Uh, and that's kind of what keeps me up at night is like, how do I get people to, especially in an early stage startup, like all you do at an early stage startup is like, can you look at me? Yeah, we're awesome. And like, and like that used to be much easier. Yeah. Than it is now. Yeah. So that's what keeps me up at night. I don't blame you. Um, I hope you get some sleep. And, and just kind of what you were saying, with all <laughs> of the noise, right? Like, how do you stand yeah. out? I know that topics of authenticity, right? When if we're just, you know, throwing out kind of all the pivot, yeah. authenticity, relevant, all of these keywords that us marketers know in the past few years have been at the top of the game. I think what's interesting is where we are now is when you think about performance and authenticity, mm. right? Now there's kind of yes. like this war on what is authentic. And then if if it's even really authentic, if it's driving strategy, because it's, then it's intentional, right? So what's that true? Again, probably a topic for another day. What I'm <laughs> curious to know, right? Because you mentioned, right, and, and I'm with you, right? Like we're we're here with you. Like the digital noise and, and just standing yeah. out in the crowd, it's not easy. But how, you know, when you think about kind of the day to day of marketing, when you're looking right to st- even stand out, you have those tasks that really pump the creativity that we need. That we need to do mm-hmm. things differently to stand out. And then you have like the actual daily tasks that you need to do also, right? That are part of the job. How are you striking the right balance? If you feel you, if you found the magic key to, to striking it, but how are you finding that balance between sparking creativity and what you're doing, standing out and then managing yeah. more, I'll call them mundane tasks, but maybe not everyone listening thinks all of them as like, you know, mundane, but I know for me, when I'm logging the budget lines, you know, <laughs> pretty mundane for me, how are you balancing that? I am not. <laughs> I am absolutely not. I, I haven't been able to for most of my career. And, and it, I'd be lying if I said, oh, yeah, so we just did. No, that's complete BS. Like, there is no balance because at the end of the day, you need to report to the pipeline gods, right, when it comes to B2B. How many, like, it depends on whether you're doing product love growth or if, you're, if you've got like, kind of a longer tail product. Like, how many sales meetings did you get on the calendar this month? And, and, and like, if you're not getting enough sales meetings on the calendar, everything else is just poof. Now, of course, you've got little moments where you get to be creative, right? But I always feel, I think, there, I think there's a couple of things that, that tend to, and, and I, this might be me too. Like, I have a tendency to kind of get into these, like, to-do lists and, like, pipeline, pipeline, pipeline. What am I going to do to get, you know? Um and I, and I lose sight often of, of what's creative. And, and the thing that kind of always gets me is that um, there, so, so let me, sorry, let me, let, let me back up. 
there are moments of creativity that can drive business results. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, there are sparks of connection that can drive business results. I don't think that um, it's, I, I think part of the problem is that is that marketing teams um, don't get enough resources. I'm just going to be right. Marketing is always like um, the money pit, so to speak, right. Marketing, <clears throat> sorry, marketing spends the most money. I, you know, you're, you're spending on paid media, you're sp- spending on events, you're spending on all this stuff, but what people forget is that a lot of this stuff gets lost when there aren't enough people. Right. So, so like, for example, companies tend to hire sales way too fast and not enough marketing people to fill pipeline for those, those sales um, teams. And, and people take for granted how hard it is to do marketing. Like, Oh, what is it? You know, you get a little, no, it is hard. You've got to balance Again, you got to balance performance, creativity. Even if you're not like having like these creative, brilliant flashes, you still need to be decent at what you're doing, right? And and so the result is is that there's no time for creativity. There's no space for creativity. You know, I think maybe in in, in larger companies that are very advanced, you know, you can see them going with kind of more off the cuff, wilder things. But if you're talking about a, a startup that is in its first three, four years, you don't have time to do like these crazy campaigns or budget to do these crazy campaigns that aren't tied to ROI. You don't. Yeah. And so you do what you can, right? You try um, in, in the channels that you have, you try to be different. I know for me, um, the place that it comes out most in the thought leadership that we do. So I always like, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like creative, but it really is like good thought leadership is it comes when, when, you have an intersection between something that's very, very newsworthy right now and a value proposition that your company kind of brings forward. That's like the perfect thought leadership. And that's a really great moment for creativity. Those are moments that spark, right? Like, so for example, uh, you know, a a few, I'm currently in HR tech and about a, you know, two months ago, people started talking about returning to work. Um, like people returning to the office and, and, you know, I'm, I'm inundated with emails, but I also subscribe to a bunch of different newsletters. And I saw this theme again and again and again, I'm like, okay, wait a second. People are talking about this. We've been talking about hybrid work and change management and all that. Where can we bring this in? Right. And I came up with an idea. Let's do the things that employer employers need to take with them as they walk away from hybrid, like, you learn some things. Don't forget those things now that you're back in the office. Yeah. Right? We interviewed ICO. We did, we did an article and boom, we got the front cover of HR, HR.com's monthly trade. Nice. Yeah, it was very good. And it was, and it was like, it didn't take a lot. It was, it was just a little like, ooh, okay, wait, this thing works, right? And I think that um, when you're in a very, very high pressure, um, overtasked environment, you need to listen to those moments. I love that. and 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 that's and that's like the big challenge. Like, and I don't listen to them a lot of time. Like, there are times I'm like, "Ooh, this would be so cool if we did it." I don't have time for it. But, but you know, there's like this balance where you've got, "Oh, this is good. This is not going to take too much time. Let's do this." Right? Um, and and that's I think where the where creativity can shine in these situations. But in all honesty, as long as marketing is not fully appreciated for the amount of time it takes, there's always I think there's always going to be this problem. Yeah, which is a shame, but you know, 
Yeah, I, it definitely, you know, I'm, I'm with you there, right? I think the key word that I constantly hear would be, you know, agile marketing. And what does that mean? And it, it brings you right back to what you were describing, which is how it's the way you 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 phrased, right? Listening to the moments. I think as a marketer, I really appreciate that sentence because you're right. So often these moments come and go, hit us in the face and then leave, yeah. maybe, you know, carrying around a notebook. But something I want to kind of shift the conversation for a moment, because you brought up, you brought up kind of finding and listening to these moments to create mm-hmm. essentially what you coined as, right, the perfect thought leadership that would resonate most. Mm-hmm. And kind of leads me, whenever I think about thought leadership, I always tend to, to connect it hand in hand with personal branding as well. I think they, mm-hmm. they overlap. Yeah. So I'm curious to know, in your opinion, as a marketing leader, how right and you did share about the overlap but how are you creating thought leadership content and then presenting it as your personal brand that's both smart and enjoyable can you give us maybe because I'll, I'll tell you where this question comes from i speak with so many marketing leaders and we get into the debate of should marketing leaders be sharing their own perspectives on LinkedIn or not? Mm -hmm. Uh, Should there be a policy? What if they're afraid to share something? So for any of us listening in on kind of maybe thinking, okay, where do we start or how do we jump in? Do you have any insight into that? Because I know if anyone's following you, you've got some great posts out there and insights. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So yeah, for a very long time, I did not, think about, we'll call it marketing myself, right? First of all, because it's really hard because you're, you're, you know, you're busy marketing the company that you work for, right? And, and I think as, as I became, and I'm still not good enough at this, let's just be absolutely clear. I'm still terrible at this. But as I started getting invited um, to, speaking at, to speak at conferences and not, to, not as a sponsor, but like of my own accord, right? I started, like people started identifying me as a, as a person who has something meaningful to share just as me, not as, you know, this big company who's going to, you know, pay money. Um, that's when I started thinking about, okay, so what do I stand for? What is it? that I am. And I've always, and this is, I think where <laughs> Jenny and I, uh, there, there's some, some synergy here. I, I use, I use the words radical transparency. Now I, I hit on this and, and I'll, I'll tell a little bit of a story. Please stop me if it's too rambling. Okay. But when COVID, like I would say about like, eh, let's call it three months into 2021, I needed to, to hire. And I started doing Zoom interviews and everybody was still basically at home. And you didn't really see people face to face, but I needed to start hiring people over Zoom. How do you hire a person over Zoom? It's insane. And I found myself really just putting myself out there, being really honest about where I am. Like, hey, there's a dog barking. Hey, here's my kids coming in. Tell me a little bit about you, right? And, And I would always, and this is the other thing, I would always give feedback to the person who I was interviewing. So I would start up an interview and I would say, hey, listen, so you should know I'm a little weird because if I'm going to tell you right here and now whether you're going on to the next stage. If you're not, I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to give you feedback. I hope that you're okay with this. I just feel like this is the most valuable. You're, you're giving me your time too, so I want to give you value, right? And it wasn't, it wasn't like lip service. I truly felt this way. I'm like, okay, I'm I'm standing in front of a person. I'm in an authority position. I'm in a position of privilege. I see the big picture. They don't. What can I do to help them see the big big picture? Because why the heck shouldn't I help them? And it started this 
situation where, you know, when I was in these initial screening interviews, because I didn't have HR help at the time, something that would usually take 10 minutes because they knew the person wasn't right. I would take it into half an hour because it was a person who was just starting out in their career and they weren't presenting themselves properly or a person who I felt like you're not applying to the right things because this is what, you know, you should try applying here, applying there. And, and like, it turned out, first of all, it, it started bringing people to me and I started mentoring people as a result of that, which was kind of cool. Like people doing career changes and stuff. And I would tell them like, Hey, if you have more questions, talk to me. I'm actually really proud of the fact that I got people, a bunch of people, the jobs that they're in because I helped them kind of, you know, um, I'm not, I'm no career counselor, but it was just like, Hey, I, I know what I'm looking for. I know what I was probably looking for. Let me, let me share this with you. And I used, and it came to the point where that was my favorite part of the job. It's like, I love doing this. Like, let me do more of this. How can I do more of this? Cause you're not hiring forever. And then that's when I started posting things that were way more, um, you know, kind of, Hey, you're making a mistake if you're not doing this. Hey, show like show who you are. Show your mess. Show your children. You know, like like show who you are. Um, and I and I really started practicing it as well. Um, and I found um, that it has been it was it's been kind of a, a transformative experience for me. So there's always a line, right? You don't want to like complain about where you are. You don't want to like, you don't want to bad mouth if you're talking about negative experiences and you always get kind of a little, you know, like you're afraid that people will judge you, right? Cause there's, there's a lot of judgment around about things. Um, but I, I, at some point I just said, okay, you know what? I'm going to stop worrying about that. Like I'm not saying I'm going to do everything. I'm not saying I'm going to like air my dirty laundry out on LinkedIn, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop worrying about that as much and start talking about what I truly believe, right? And that is that children don't need to be invisible for working mothers. And that is that that women get a raw deal in whether they're in leadership roles or not. And that is that that, that Zoom backgrounds can sometimes hide, um, you know, hide problems. By the way, I, I, I have to do this because I know people are watching this. So <laughs> I'm, I usually don't blur my background. I usually show it like, hey, here's my, my bed here. But because we're on a podcast recording and you see this, Something. This is the only reason. Yeah, this is the only reason I'm blurring my background just to nobody's eyes. Yeah. But if you if you talk to me on a regular day, my background's never blurred. You see my dog walking in the background, like kids coming in and out. Um, and so so yeah, there was just like this shift that happened when I realized how much I love this thing that I was doing, and I just started doing it in everything. Like, what can I tell tell people about me that can help them? I I love. Um, I think too what's interesting about that, right? Because there's some kind of, I wouldn't maybe say confusion, but when you're thinking about writing on LinkedIn, right? And what, kind of what we mm-hmm. spoke about a second ago with kind of authenticity, right? You're always trying to think, okay, what value am I bringing? But at what point can you kind of let go of the value and show who you are, right? Yep. Yes, you still want to be strategic. Yes, you still want to bring value, but you also want to showcase and tell the story of, of you. So with that, yeah. I, I actually have two more questions for you before we close out the show. And this has been really eye-opening. And I think what I love, right? The whole point of radi- the Radically Transparent podcast is to really get radically transparent. And I, I love that you were so authentic, right? We're, that's the theme of the show, like the, mm-hmm. the, the episode, but so transparent with us to really understand, right? There is no shame in, you know, sharing who you are. But 
when you think of yourself as a marketing leader, right? And we, we spoke about it, there's a lot to balance, mm-hmm. whether it's creativity yeah. versus tasks, authenticity versus strategy, uh, performance pipeline versus, you know, you name it, uh, a lot to balance. So how do you make space for you as Inbar in this world? I am working really hard on that. I am working so hard on that because I never used to. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a person who does, I love working by the way. This is part of the thing. Like I love work. Um, and, and it's, it's always interesting to me and challenging. And, and like, I had a very hard time finding space for myself, but there was honestly, like I, I'll, we're, we're being honest, right. In December, I had a bit of like a, a situation with the family and like, it was a bit of a wake up call for me. Everybody's fine. Right. But like, it was a wake up call for me to just wait a second, like you're not just your work, take a minute, right? And I think since then, it's been about six months and I've been really working hard to find spaces for me and it's, and, and, and really challenging myself. So little things like on weekends, I limit the time on my work email, like using screen time on apps. When I close the computer at the end of the day, I close the computer at the end of the day. Like I'm not, I, I don't always, like I'm not hundred percent. Like sometimes I, I slip, right. But, <laughs> but these little things that kind of, I've been trying to be more mindful of because really it's so easy to get lost in and sucked into your work. And, and I'm not even close, I think, to being where I'd like to be with it. Mm-hmm. Um, especially since I'm an overachiever and like, I can't, I don't have less than hundred percent. Like that's not, an, that's never happened. But like, I think the last few, the last six months or so have really forced me into just figuring out ways that I can weave myself back into my life in a more active way. By the way, one of the best things, and this is a little tip. One of the best things I ever- Write it down, underline, star. (laughs) So like, I think it was something like 10 months ago, my best friend, my best friend lives in, in Amsterdam. And 10 months ago, we, we never, we didn't talk properly. Like we would kind of catch up and, and like, we, we, we love each other, but we weren't fully up on, on each other's lives. And, and it's, and I was like, listen, let's put time on the calendar. If I have time blocked out on my work calendar mm-hmm. to talk to you, I'm going to be there. And it's not time during it's 10 30 PM my time. And we put in this block and it has, literally been one of the best things that have happened to me in the last year. We talk every Tuesday at 1030. If we're tired, if we're sick, if we're going through whatever, Tuesday at 1030 happens. And it has made such a shift, first of all, in the relationship, right? Because it's like, uh, we're, we're in each other's lives way more. But also, for me, it's like, it's Tuesday at 1030. Take a minute to be with your friend. Yeah. Right. Like, and it's been, honestly, it has improved my quality of life so immensely. I can't even tell you just like an hour of talking to your best friend every week. is awesome. Yeah. Listen, listen, my grandpa used to always say, the more you talk to someone, the more you have to talk about, but I love what you kind of suggested there, right? Blocking time on your work calendar. And I think this, this could be, you know, episode part two, right? Because Mm -hmm. there's this whole concept of work-life balance and I think yeah. pre-COVID, right? We hate to go, you know, back to the COVID conversation, but pre-COVID, there was this, hey, nine to five, I'm at work, or maybe nine to six, or maybe in Israel, you know, nine to seven. But uh, right, I'm at work. But once I close my computer, I'm not at work. 
And then there's kind of been this shift where it's everybody's on 24 seven, whether you're online or you're just on call. So I think there's this new evolution where it's not necessary. It is a work-life balance, but I think everything is so intertwined where, you know, I know for me at 430, I'm going to pick up my son. And then, you know, an hour later I'm back on. So how do you deal with those transitions? So what I love about what you shared about putting it on your work calendar is you are taking your work calendar and making it your calendar, right? So whether you're at work and your colleagues see what's happening in your life, or if your mm-hmm. home calendar is maybe shared with your spouse or your kids, right? It's a very transparent way, I think, to balance this new way that we work of kind of 24-7, but as finding those moments, where are you most creative? At what time? Where? How do you balance you and just putting it all in a calendar? I have two things to say about this. Thing one, for the first time in my career, I have put kid bedtime. On my work calendar. calendar. In my work calendar, there's two hours in a day, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. that says kid bedtime. Nobody schedules stuff on that time. They, I have other blocks on my calendar. Nobody's ever respectful of these other blocks. Nobody touches kid bedtime. Nobody. And it's the first time I've very clearly said kid, like I have time with my children, right? And it, and, and so that's been huge for me. But I'm just going to be honest. Like, I don't think I have, like, I don't think I've, I've gotten it yet. Like, I don't think I'm there yet. I think I have, like, I, I think maybe I'm like 40% there, which is better than where I was like you know, six months ago. But I don't think I'm even remotely close to to getting it right. And I don't know if it's even possible. Like, we're, there's, we're, I think in a lot of ways, work-life balance is an illusion. I think you have times when you're more in your life and you have times when more in your work. And it's very hard. You, there's not a way to do them both at the same time. And so... Um, for me, I just kind of muddle through it and, and learn and, you know, I try to identify places where I can improve and, and hope for the best basically. (laughs) (laughs) Don't, don't we all, don't we all. So listen, last question, we're going to wrap up the show. It's my favorite one. Um, and you know, I'd love to go into all the Hollywood. I didn't forget the Hollywood celebrity stories that you have, (laughs) but what is one thing that you can tell us about right now that we can't learn about you from your LinkedIn profile? Um, I am a hardcore rock and roll nineties alternative, like music freak who loves doing Zumba. What? (laughs) Which is like, I don't think there can be more contradictory music styles, but this is a thing that I am. I love that. I love that. Maybe one day we will see (laughs) Zumba classes with hard rock, right? Right. Styles. We're seeing more and more music forms coming into that dance form anyway. (laughs) That would be fantastic. Um, Definitely did not know that about you. So thank you for sharing that. So listen, I want to wrap up. This has been a really fun interview, but also eye-opening for me. And I think one of the biggest takeaways I'm going to do after recording this show is actually go look at my calendar and how certain things are phrased and start combining my work and personal life into one calendar. I think that is very meaningful. Um, So with that said, anybody that does want to speak uh, marketing, that would like to speak work-life balance, mom life, Zumba, hard rock, film, where's the best place for somebody to reach you? So, okay. I am terrible with Twitter. I've, I know I should be like, as a content marketer, like most content marketers are like Twitter, Twitter. I, I suck at Twitter. <laughs> that being said, I spend way too much time on LinkedIn. I'm always there. Um, and so you are, you know, 
come find me there. Message me, follow me, whatever. That's where I am. Amazing. And Bar, thank you so much for joining me today and getting Radically Transparent. Thank you, Jen. It was an absolute pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to the Radically Transparent podcast brought to you by Octopost, the only social media management and employee advocacy platform architected for B2B. I'm Jennifer Gutman, your host and director of social strategy here at Octopost. And if you love today's show, we'd love if you subscribe, rate, and give a raving review wherever you get your podcasts. For more discussion on B2B social media marketing, be sure to follow Octopost on LinkedIn. And of course, to gain access to all our free social media marketing and employee advocacy resources, head on over to our website, www.octopost.com. Until next time.